Yeah, I'm in a library. Mr. Smith in the library with a candlestick. Exactly. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to the discussion on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. Hope to share a lot of good information with you and uh, obviously look to have a little bit of fun along the way. I'm Reed Smith, one of your hosts, always joined uh, by my co-host and good friend Chris Boyer. Uh, You can find me at Reed Smith on Twitter, socialhealthinstitute.com. Or track me down on LinkedIn. How's it going, Chris? Pretty good, pretty good, Reed. I'm actually uh, recording the podcast in my new apartment, just or a condo, I should say, just um, and moving in the midst of moving. So very nice. Um, yeah, still here in Minneapolis. A lot of people have asked me what what state are you moving to now, but I'm still here in Minneapolis. <laughs> just moved about a mile down the road. But um, and as a way of introduction for those of you who are listening in, I'm Chris Boyer. You can find me online. Uh, on Twitter, Chris Boyer, virtually every social media handle at Chris Boyer, or my website, ChristopherBoyer.com, digital marketing strategist and digital patient experience expert. There you go. So um, there we go. So, Reed, we are now past our first milestone. This is episode 11. Yes. Double ones. Episode 11. We are well into the double digits. <laughs> 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 no, this is this is great. We are uh, we're very fortunate to make it to episode eleven. Uh, that means people are actually listening, and Chris and I are actually still having fun doing this. And so, uh, lots and lots of fun. We certainly appreciate all the feedback. Um, you know, on the previous episodes, uh, suggestions for topics for upcoming episodes, etc. One thing before we get started today, if we uh, could ask a favor of you, uh, if you would. Surf right on over to iTunes on your computer there and subscribe to the podcast. Not just subscribe, but also rate and review. So once you get there, subscribe so you make sure you get this uh, each and every uh, week that it comes out. And uh, if you would, leave us a nice star review and write a little comment. Uh, Certainly helps us, but more importantly, it helps other people find it that much easier. So we very much appreciate that. So, Reed, I thought we'd actually get to this topic a lot sooner in um, before episode 11, but it's finally time for us to talk a little bit about content and content strategy and content marketing. Content is today's big topic, and, and specifically a type of content strategy that I hear a lot. I don't know if you've heard this before, but I hear it a lot where people talk about, which is called create once and publish everywhere. Several years ago, it was always, you know, content is king, right? Everybody loved to say that. That was, that was the big, that was the big buzzword. And then I think we got to a place where um, it's very time consuming. And so now we're starting to make our way down some of these uh, paths that at least feel more efficient. And so, you know, mm-hmm. to your point, the create once publish everywhere simply by its name would mean that you create a piece of content that then is, uh, has the ability to make it across, you know, all the channels, all your channels, you know, whatever that means is a little bit different to everybody, I guess. Well, you know, it was actually first when we talk about this concept, it was actually first developed 
by NPR way back in 2009, and it wasn't a content strategy. It actually started out as a technology strategy, a content management system. They were building a content management system, and they have NPR had a lot of people that were consuming their content, a lot of apps, a lot of different things going on. And so what they did is they, the developers created this thing where they basically separated the content from the presentation layer. We talked about that way back when in the content management system episode two, I think it is. Um, but anyway... What they did is um, they the developers created this this open CMS and open API, which allowed for NPR to publish their content to multiple different channels in sort of a de- device agnostic, channel agnostic sort of way, and um, and the big intent here too was to create it open so that if other third party companies wanted to kind of pull their content onto their websites or maybe distribute it like through a podcast or whatever like that, um, it really, you know, it, it, it became this structure that allowed them to, to, to do that. Now, what's happened is, is while it started originate in technology, it's now become sort of this mythic utopian state, so to speak, of content strategy because mm-hmm. it really it embodies some of the things that that content people struggle with a lot. So this whole concept of multi-channel publishing, right? right? The whole concept of creating content in a simplistic way. You don't you only have to create it once and then it goes everywhere, right? right. And it's really and it's really trying to solve this problem of the right content to the right people at the right time. You know, it's funny. I, I hadn't really thought about that that, you know, starting with uh, technology uh, is the motivating factor versus content or, or even planning being the motivating factor. Um, I mean, didn't we didn't we kind of try to do this and then decide it was not a good idea with simple things like, you know, uh, tying your Twitter account to your Facebook page. So it like auto right. auto tweets, which you push, you know, put put on Facebook. Um, and, you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail of, you know, why that's not a good idea. I think everybody kind of understands that. Uh, but then you had social media management systems, even from a technology standpoint, that allowed you to create a piece of content, check a bunch of boxes of everywhere you wanted it to go, even if it was just across multiple Twitter accounts uh, or Twitter and LinkedIn or Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook, or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. So I think we've kind of tiptoed around this or, you know, mm-hmm. d- done it to some degree, um, maybe not with the right motivation, but I think to some degree, this isn't a new concept. It's just kind of a retooling of you know, maybe what we've done historically. Yeah, but I think the question we have to ask is, is this a strategy or is it a distribution plan or a content plan? And I think before we answer that question, it might be good to kind of frame up a little bit about the definitions of content marketing strategy, a content strategy, and a content plan. A content marketing strategy is really more the why. You know, why are you creating the content? Um, you know, who are you helping? How, how you know how is it available to them? You know, no one else can. Organizations, you know, use this to some degree, I guess, um, you know, really to try to build an audience. This is something easy to tie, like, okay, what does success look like? And so what are we trying to get out of this? Content strategy really goes a little bit deeper into the creation, publication, governance. It's, you know, it's beyond just the scope of a marketing strategy. It really, um, you know, helps an organization 
you know, manage all the content that they have. And then, you know, finally, the, the content plan is, is something that's very tactical. People are probably fairly used to that, whether it's a Google Doc or a spreadsheet or something like that. But it's a very tactical deployment of that strategy where, you know, you're actually plugging in, we're going to post this on this day on this platform and, you know, some of those types of things. Uh, but it is important to understand, you know, the need uh, for these things um, on the marketing side and on the strategy side before you start trying to, you know, fill out the spreadsheet of what piece of content to post when and where. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people do, you know, have that challenge where when they think about creating content, they immediately go to let's create the content, let's fill up the channels, let's make sure we have mm -hmm. four posts on social media a day, let's make sure that we have our website content is updated at least every six months and, you know, make sure, oh, we're, we're launching a new service line or, or what have you. And they immediately go right to the content. And I think taking a step back and really developing a succinct strategy and um, creating, you know, a strategy that's about that particular camp campaign or marketing initiative or a strategy about how you're going to govern all of this content. And when you do that, you start to that's where you start to become a little bit more sophisticated with understanding who your audiences are, right. what their needs are, what channels they use. You know, it isn't just like every channel everywhere. Mm -hmm. it, what it is now, it becomes you start to get a little bit more. A streamlined and you say okay we're going to be creating this type of content on a website we're going to be creating this type of content that's related to it that's out there on social media etc and sometimes that content differs per the channel because your audiences differ yeah I mean it's almost uh, in a lot of cases you know what we recommend is um, you know really understanding and developing out personas and so as you start going into the strategy and, and even the marketing of, of why are we posting this on Facebook or why is this on Instagram and not on Facebook or whatever? And you're able to line that up with, well, this is the persona that this piece of content was created for. And that's where this persona, you know, resides online, so to speak. And then you can actually start to create your editorial calendars and starting to put content out there. Right. But, you know, oftentimes when I, when we read about content online or like good content suggestions, you know, the ideal Facebook posts, the ideal, right. you know, website length, whatever, it really focuses in on those tactical elements of it, right? That your Facebook post is to be 240 characters, it should include a video, blah, 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 right? But what it doesn't get to is the overall strategy, what you're actually trying to accomplish. In a little defense of the folks that write the blog post about the appropriate frequency of posting and, you know, that kind of thing. It's not all bad. I mean, that's good information. You know, it's um, but you really have to be involved with the organization, understand what the you know priorities are, uh, whether that be by service line or you know initiative. You know, certain calls to action. You know, that, that they're trying to drive, and so it's really hard to you know. It's, again, this is not a one size fits all. There are there are elements that we don't even consider to be content that are very relevant to patients and people that are interacting with your health system. Sure. Like the ability to pay their bills online, their ability to schedule an appointment online. Mm -hmm. That actually becomes content for them. Mm -hmm. And we don't think of it as content, but that becomes a relevant part of all of that. Sure. Absolutely. All right. So you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of where this uh, originated. You know, you mentioned NPR, mm -hmm. it's a technology focus, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mentioned the API structure. 
uh, you know, more the more the technology piece of it, and kind of how that's evolved now into more of a strategy. So why why do you, you know why are you seeing or why do you think people actually want to do this? What's the motivating factor? Well, I again, I think it's it it just really embraces that simplicity, right? That concept of content creation can be so simple that you just create it in one place mm-hmm. and it goes everywhere magically, right? right? That's why people want to do it, but when you actually get into your content strategy and you start to understand all of those things, the personas, their preferences, Mm -hmm. the ability to optimize the content that's not necessarily content that, but you know, that we consider content, but it actually is to the, to the person consuming that content, all of those things become much more complex. And so I think that while everyone wants that, that ideal state, I think it's so hard to achieve. Just like the name says, you know, I'm going to create something and publish it everywhere. Um, you know, that that sounds sounds great. I don't know that it I don't know that it's that simple, really. Um, and again, you've got to you've got to have you know some of it's technology based, some of it's strategy based. Um, but I think the idea of working through this makes makes a ton of sense. Can make people's lives a little bit easier allows you to maximize what's coming in, especially from your clinical staff or some of those that are not directly uh, executing the content. You know, they're just creating. Um, and so, um, it, you know, from a management perspective, um, it's great. And from a reporting perspective, it's great. What, 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 what is news? All right, well, now we're into the What's News segment, and we have an article about this whole concept of create once, publish everywhere, or it's commonly known as COPE. And the article is called New Way to COPE, Create Once and Publish Enthusiastically. This is a little bit of an older article. It's on marketinggizmo.com. Um, Reed, why don't we uh, why don't we talk a little bit about what this article states? All right, so you talked earlier and you referenced NPR. You know, that's kind of where this this originated. And the reason for that was because, uh, as you would imagine, um, and everybody probably knows this if they think about it for a second, NPR has a ton of content and creates a ton of content on an ongoing basis. The content is generally accessible by folks. You know, it's it's very, very broad. You know, topically, it's very broad across different mediums like podcasting. They have multiple shows. This is not probably the best apples to apples comparison for hospitals um you know we're we're very much you know niche if you will even as an industry i mean we're only talking about healthcare. you're probably only talking about your geographic area relative to healthcare, and you've got much less you know if you we mentioned personas earlier you know the personas for npr i mean it's just like it's all of them Like, you know, there's, there's no, I don't even know why you would create personas in NPR. It's just, you know, should we do this show? Probably. But for hospitals, it's, it's going to be, you know, we always talk about mom being the, you know, healthcare decision maker. And then you've got employees and you've got physicians, you know, you can narrow it down, um, Mm -hmm. I guess is the better way, better way to put it. So what we've talked about, you know, cope being uh, to create once uh, published everywhere uh, was a great starting point, but probably not the the most succinct or best way to execute for hospitals. Now, Reed, I'm going to jump in really quick because 
This might run counter to what a lot of communications professionals in hospitals believe, though. Many of the people that are in communications in hospitals, they originated from a journalistic background, right? And the concept of journalism is you're creating information that's important that you want to get out to that community, like NPR, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You want to create out content. But what happens is when you get into hospitals, sometimes communications professionals in hospitals that have a journalistic background, they start to maybe not see the fact that hospitals are a niche audience, right? right. They think, oh, we create this new technology. We create, well, oh, look, this doctor saved this person's life. This is a feel-good story that everyone could get on. And, and don't get me wrong. They're all about trying to get that media and trying to get that media attention and mm -hmm. media relations. Mm -hmm. You know, that's I think it's a huge part of this. But we have to also understand where we are or like we have to understand how to stay in our lane as a hospital system. Sometimes what we talk about, sometimes the content that we think is important may not be important to our audiences. Yeah. And I think um, you know, we talked about. I mentioned shiny object syndrome earlier relative to platforms to participate in. That can also be a pitfall around content topics. Mm -hmm. You know, we see mm -hmm. something in the national news and think we need to jump on that. And in a lot of cases we do, you know, but quite honestly, um, you could probably get more mileage by, you know, to your point, staying in your lane, i.e., you know, what's relevant to that geographic area. Because, you know, most hospitals you know, they're going to have a better time connecting, you know, mo most of them are kind of that, that regional acute care system, right? You know, they're not, mm -hmm. um, you know, a big national organization. You know, they take mm -hmm. care of folks within, you know, a 25 mile radius, you know, hundred mile radius, maybe, you know, if it's a rural part of the country or more, more, uh, rural part of the country, larger States, things like that. So, you know, talking about things that happen, you know, uh, like, you know, uh, allergies, seasonal type stuff, you can get a lot of mileage um, by, again, sticking to those types of things that are relevant to those folks today versus the quick hit, the, the small spikes that you may get by, you know, chiming in on a national article. Mm -hmm. And that's why this article that we're talking about wants to redefine COPE, Create Ones Published Everywhere, to Create Ones Published Enthusiastically. And when they say to publish enthusiastically, it, it's about narrowing your content down to what's most relevant to your audiences and to your organization. So mm -hmm. imagine taking what your audience needs are, which in this case, often with hospitals and health systems, it's seeking out care and also trying to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And then combining it or, or intersecting that with what your organizational needs are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you may want to be building a, a reputation around your cancer institute, or you may want to be driving uh, mammogram um, appointments, or you may, whatever that, whatever that sure. organizational or business need is. And then combining those two together mm -hmm. to do that in a way that the content you're creating becomes very much efficient and aligned and to a certain extent they call it enthusiastic right it's about effective content yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and so again back to some of the analogies uh earlier we all remember the everybody wanted to create a piece of content when angelina jolie you know had her surgical you know the the, the bcra gene you know and things like that and that's probably really appropriate for um you know cancer centers for example, you know, folks that do that, 
uh, and do that uh, to a great level of sophistication and have a ton of expertise around that. Uh, totally fine. You know, and again, you can probably still get a quick hit off of that, uh, but just understand where that fits in your strategy. You know, what does that make sense? Do you have somebody, do you have available appointments, you know, for that? I mean, I was working at a hospital at that time where we did that, where we newsjacked, that's what they call it, right? This yeah. article about Angelina Jolie. And it talked a lot about the procedure that she went, where she, the prevent, where she was able to identify this. Now the challenge was at our health system, we did we were able to provide that, but that person was backed up for six months. <laughs> so we published this right. article right. and we had no call to action. And what did naturally people want to do? They called up, they tried to get appointments, mm-hmm. and when they heard mm-hmm. there was a six month wait time, what happened? Well, they went to the competitor. They went right. to the other health system. I think the enthusiastically piece is interesting. So we're talking about this from a content perspective. Uh, Also, one thing that I thought was interesting in this article was it talking about, you know, from a technology perspective, understanding where to find the enthusiasm. So, you know, what platforms do you participate in that you get a ton of feedback on? And, you know, using Google Analytics, whatever your web analytic tool is, to really determine, um, okay, is it social? What social platform is it? You know, what, what does that engagement look like? Um, and really, you know, pushing and creating content for those particular platforms and using that as a way to say, okay, um, you know, you're sorting by priority. So it's like, look, we get tons of great feedback on Facebook or whatever it is, uh, Instagram, you know. And so, you know, using that as the, you know, when they say publish enthusiastically, it's not everywhere. It's where you seem to have, you know, the best uh, connection with your with those personas with that audience. If you're trying to create content, let's say from a physician to physician perspective, mm-hmm. you may not want to consider Facebook because that's not where your doctors that are yep. are trying to get content from you hang out. Yep. That might be a proximity play or or whatever it may be. But understanding those channels, and I think the last point here that they want to bring forward right is is the fact that this forces you to kind of focus and become a little bit more narrow. Right, mm-hmm. And this helps a lot with organizations that want to start down an effective content strategy to focus in on those areas where you could be enthusiastic, where you maybe you start with that one service line that is most priority to you, that you know you have a huge audience for engagement, a lot of channels, you, you kind of get a good understanding of that and start mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and make sure to put it put in your measurement. Make sure you're you're measuring that, and then what you could do is once you figure out this method, you could then begin to scale it up and out. Right? right, you could start to maybe apply it to here, maybe you could start to learn here, et cetera, et cetera, and then that gives you an effective way to um, start to build a, a comprehensive multi-channel content strategy for multiple different service lines, but do it. Piece by piece by piece. All right, let me throw let me throw one more out that um, mm-hmm. just kind of popped in my mind here. But maybe your content strategy is not to publish anything. And here's what I mean by that. So let's you know you mentioned physicians for example, and so you've spent a ton of time you know fostering and creating community. Let's say on Facebook. Um, or these different channels and you know your audience is really a consumer audience so that's not the best place to now you know promote um, you know a CME event that your organization is putting on you know continuing medical education or some sort of a physician directed message right 
So maybe you don't publish it. Maybe you go to some partner organization in the community that that is their audience and you know work with them to allow you know give them the content so to speak and let them publish it through their channels because again the end goal is not to grow your facebook followers the end goal is you know to acquire patients to have more people sign up to attend this continuing medical education event uh, to attend a screening um, to come out and register for the, you know, the 5K or the fun run or, you know, what, whatever it is that you're doing. You know, so maybe sometimes the best strategy is not to do it. You kind of blew my mind there. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever it is, I mean, if, if that is your, your means, I think the, the main point of this article that we're talking about and the main kind of point of this whole podcast, I guess I would say, is... Mm-hmm. Um, is spending time to really understand who your audiences are, what channels they're engaging with content, being able to effectively build a content strategy to support that before you just start pushing content out. Touch point, touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight. All right, here we are to everyone's favorite segment of the podcast, Touch Point, Touch Counterpoint, where Chris and I spend a few minutes arguing the polar opposites of a particular um, topic. Today's topic, obviously, is COPE. We're going to take the opposite sides, whether we believe them or not, around health library content. So most hospital websites or most hospital systems have um, licensed third-party content. And what we mean by that is definitional content around, you know, different procedure types or, you know, things like that. And so should a hospital license third-party content or not license third-party content? And before we jump into this, Reed, let's put a big caveat out to all those people that are listening that may work for third-party health library content yes. companies, mm-hmm. that we're arguing this whether we believe it or not, but the, the main point of why we're, we're taking this on is to we're, – we're going to be extreme opposites, sure. but we're not necessarily coming out against them or not, even though we're going to be arguing for it. Oh, for sure. Just like every, just like every uh, podcast episode, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. But let's, why don't we go down this path? So, Reed, <clears throat> I am going to take the side of, I think health library, third-party health library content is useful if used appropriately. And what I mean by that is, while, you know, th- there are many of these companies out there that give you these third-party licensed content... That's pretty generic, and it's you know, and it and it's and many other organizations use it. I think that there is a tremendous amount of value if organizations, hospitals, start to use this as a way to supplement their additional content. It shouldn't be the primary place where they're getting content about that health system, but I think that there is value to the users of the websites to if they want to find out, dig a little deeper into. What does a migraine headache look like, or what are the symptoms, or what have you? That to have that there, I think it's useful. Mm, no, no, it's not. It's terribly unuseful. 
Um, no, all, all your web traffic is mobile anyway. I mean, nobody's looking up definitional content on your hospital website. Like, that's not a thing. Like, you, you don't need this. While, you're, while you are saying it's mobile, I'm not sure what you mean by that, that people access it by mobile. But, but the point here is, though, is that I think as people are starting to investigate, they may hear about a doctor, learn about one of your doctors, your, prim- your, your really great physicians, learn that they are specialized in this particular procedure, maybe watch a video about them. They read their bio and they say, oh, he also, he also does this procedure. Well, what is that procedure? If you don't have content to support that, they're going to be off searching a different site and suddenly you lose the engagement with that online consumer with your brand. You need to have that content available somewhere that's related and connected to your site. Mayo, WebMD, those folks on that space anyway. I mean, Mayo's results, I mean, their definitional content shows up in Google search results. Like there's just, even if it is a good idea, there's no way you can compete on it. I don't think you know, it makes your website bloated and, you know, you're just, you're going to end up with just a bunch of content that like nobody's looking at. It doesn't matter. They're, by the time they make it to the hospital website, they're looking for action. They're not looking for uh, definitional content. Well, you know, I would actually respectfully disagree with that because I think that if you're, if you are just tagging it on to your website, then yeah, that's a bloated piece. It's like, you know, like attaching a new arm to your body. Like, why do you need that? But if you start to integrate that content, make it part of the user flow, I think there's tremendous amount of value in this health library content, not to mention the fact that there is a value that we're from not a marketing competitive perspective, from a patient education perspective. A lot of these third-party content systems are also doing patient education. And I think that's valuable to people too. You've been diagnosed with this, here are the, the information that you need. Well, then they should provide patient education. I don't, I don't need them providing the definitional content on the website. I mean, that's just, it makes no sense. People don't go to a hospital website to then look up what an ACL tear is. People Google that and your local hospital website is not gonna be anywhere to be found. It doesn't matter. Have it, don't have it, doesn't matter. You're assuming that if you're trying to capture that one person just searching ACL tears, I would agree with you, health library contents are not that good. But if you map out the online patient journey through your content, there are times when they go for that informational content. If you use it in a strategic way and integrate it, there is value. I don't know. I disagree. No, no, nobody trusts a brand anyway. You know, they want some unbiased third party of what something is or what it is, what not to do, what to do, procedure types. You need to spend time creating uh, other types of content and, you know, putting that in front of people um, where they are versus on your own site. I'm sorry. I'm not going to pay an employee to write about the symptoms of migraine headaches. Might as well just have that content available and licensed. Agree to disagree. <laughs> it's 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 funny we're 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 sitting here and and I I know that we've heard both sides of this argument when we're talking to, to organizations and I like like we said when we teed this up at the beginning read right mm-hmm. that the the real answer is somewhere in the middle here yeah I think you're right we're not I mean you are right indeed we can't compete against like WebMD and Mayo Clinic and all those other people we just can't from a content perspective but to your point I think there is an integration point for content where uh, it meets um, the patient in that journey uh, whatever that means it's a little bit different depending on what service line what you offer 
you know, the, the, the web assets that you have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's definitely a place for it. Um, you know, we just have to be mindful of what that is, understand our personas, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All the stuff that we've talked about to this point. All right, welcome to the Ask the Expert section of the Touchpoint podcast, and today I'm really honored to have a very well-known person in the industry, Brian Gresh from the Cleveland Clinic. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. Brian, you and I have known each other for a, a number of years, but the industry uh, has been keeping an eye on you because you were one of the pioneers, right, in, in a lot of things digital. You, I think it was your organization that um, when you were back at the University of Utah, you brought physician transparency ratings online for the first time. And you've been progressively moving. And I think a lot of us have been watching your career. So why don't you give us a little bit of the history of like where you've been, what you've done and where you are today? Sure. So I've been in healthcare marketing for just about 20 years. I really got my start at University of Utah Healthcare. I didn't start off to become a healthcare marketer. I really just looking for a marketing career. Started more on the kind of traditional side of marketing, advertising, you know, media buying, that sort of thing. And really, saw kind of the trend towards, you know, digital and and web as a as a way to communicate with customers early on um, in the early 2000s and just took a took a real interest in it. And so I was able to, you know, start to develop a team at the University of Utah and then it kind of just went from there and that eventually led me here to the Cleveland Clinic. You know, a lot of the work that I was able to do at University of Utah with a with a great team there eventually led to some new opportunities here at Cleveland Clinic, and now I'm just kind of continuing that work. And we're going to talk about some of the work that you're doing. The topic of our podcast today is around content, and that's a big topic, as you know. Let's first talk about, you know, just in general, the state of content, content creation, content. I see the current state as kind of a little flat. And and when I say the current state, I mean the state in healthcare content marketing. One of the things that has kind of frustrated me is that if you go to pretty much 95% of healthcare websites out there, they're all kind of built and, and modeled the same way. They all have a find a doc, they all have a location finder, and then they all have service sections, whether that's broken up by departments or specialties. So there's really not a lot of variety between the different sites. There's some pros to that, which means people have a general idea of how things are organized, but it's hard to differentiate yourself when it comes to your brand and your reputation and and also the way that you're interacting with patients. The differentiation clearly comes from all the content that you create, right, and how you populate the site. So tell us some of the things that you're doing now uh, to help. First, I would say that I think a lot of people, when they think about content, they instantly think like blogs or, you know, that kind of long form content or what I would call like more marketing content. But I really think we have to think of content in a very broad sense. Physician profiles are content, videos, content, blog posts are content, that very kind of evergreen specialty description information is content. I think content really has to be very broad in terms of its definition. How we're differentiating ourselves, I think, is in two ways. We're trying to develop new types of content that really kind of fill that gap of what people are looking for. So, you know, I mentioned all of these things that we all tend to have, but there's content pieces that people are looking for that not everyone is filling. And that's that kind of more wellness type information or just simple things that we don't really think about, like questions people are asking and deeper dive type content. 
And so that's really where we're kind of focused on. But then related to that, I think content organization and content structure is, is also the key. You can create all the great content you want, but if you don't have a place to put it and it's not organized well or structured well, then you don't have the ability to push it out and really amplify the content. That is, in a nutshell, one of the largest challenges that organizations face. What are some ideas or thoughts that you have around how organizations can start to look at doing this better? I think the first thing, and it's what people usually don't want to hear, is to start with your core website. Most websites are not organized well, and they're not structured well. And part of that's because over time, you know, the next new thing comes out or the next new technology comes out and people tend to jump to it. And we kind of leave the unsexy stuff kind of behind, right? You know, and then you start to get this stuff just building on itself in a very unorganized state. If you're thinking about a content strategy, go back and look at what your foundation looks like. If it's not well-organized and it's not well-structured, then you should pause your content strategy and get your house in order first. The content demand is not going to stop. It's only going to increase. If you constantly layer it onto this shaky foundation, it's, it's eventually going to break. And then you're actually farther behind than you need to be. What we're talking about is like your information architecture, right? How you present your content? Absolutely. So what are some things that you've done at Cleveland to, to optimize your content? We just went live with a new site in December. And we spent probably the first six months just taking a look at all of the back-end components of the site, the non-sexy stuff, like the content management system, all of the databases that are supplying the different content buckets to the site. Are the APIs built on SOAP or REST? You know, making sure that, that you have a modern architecture, and we, we're building a very much a service-driven architecture, putting some flexibility in place. I think search is a really important thing as well, on-site and off-site search. A lot of people tend to use their on-site search product, whatever kind of comes with their CMS or whatever their ITD department supplies them. But, you know, that can create some challenges or some limitations. We replaced our search product as well, and that provided ways to re-index content and think about it in new ways. And then taxonomy is the last thing. How are we tagging different types of content? How are we relating content buckets to each other? You know, that eventually leads to how do we eventually want to serve up the content? And that's really that visual layer, finally, you know, after all that. That's another thing. We didn't start with design. We definitely started from the inside out. A lot of people, when they think of website redesigns, they go right to, what does it look like? And you started with, what is the foundation, what it's built on? The reason is because the better the foundation is, the better the visual layer can be. I talk a lot about architecture and all of this stuff, but I'm not an IT person. I'm a marketing person. And I think very visually and very creatively, but I understand, and I think this is really important for people to focus on, I understand that what the structure of the site on the inside is allows us to do so much more from a user experience standpoint. And as people are demanding better utility, better experience on the front end, you really have to think about what's behind the curtain. So a lot of organizations, they're starting to think about static versus dynamic content. I think content has to be dynamic to play in the current web environment. When I think about our content and our website, the website really doesn't have borders. It extends beyond what we kind of manage and the content has to be able to flow beyond the borders of our site. If it's not dynamic, then it can't do that. We have static content on our site, 
but we're trying to limit as much as possible and really try to serve things up in a very modular way. It has a lot of advantages. One, it allows you to develop faster if you're using kind of a component build. Also, if you're using a lot of web services or APIs, it allows you to to connect things and serve up content, not just on your own site, but beyond your site to partners or into apps and things like that. So I think dynamic content is key. My big kind of philosophy is don't try to eat the elephant all at once. Pick content that you can manage. You don't have to build out the entire site at once. If there are areas that you can focus on, like clinical trials or video content or a blog, try building those little pieces individually. And then as you build them, and you can show some success with the metrics, usually people gravitate towards things that are successful and that allows you to then create or assign ownership to those areas. I've had the ability to work at the University of Utah, which my team was small but mighty. Here at the clinic, you know, I I have a larger team, but the same rules apply. When I was at University of Utah, we took an approach of building out these kind of smaller areas of the site trying to get them up to a certain scale, and then looking for partners in the organization that wanted to be part of that success. Here, we we tend to manage some of that those content areas a little bit more internally to the marketing department, but it's the same concept. We look for partners out in the enterprise that want to be part of a particular content area. Brian, uh, another thing a lot of organizations have are these health libraries. So are those effective for a content strategy? I think health libraries are effective depending on what your goals are related to the health library. If you are trying to provide some useful, relevant information to your patients within your market area, that's a great value add. If it's part of a broader SEO strategy, you have to be really thoughtful about how you implement it. Custom content definitely outperforms content that's being used across a a broad number of sites. If you have the resources to produce that content yourself, that's probably going to get you farther from an SEO standpoint and probably a brand standpoint than purchasing content. But I don't think purchasing content is a bad thing. I think it adds value to your site and it adds to your user experience. And then the last thing I would say about health libraries is it's also how you implement it. If it kind of sits off by itself and doesn't really play well with the other types of content on your site, then it's probably not doing as much as you probably could get out of it. The biggest challenge is how do you integrate it? How do you map it to all of the other types of content and create better flow through the site? From a content perspective, where do you see the future? Where are we headed? I think expanding content in many shapes and forms. Video, clearly, I mean, everyone's talking about video, right? But I don't think anyone's really completely blown out the video space. And then just as video is starting to kind of crank up, things like Alexa and Google Home start to come into the mix. And why should I watch a video if I can cook and also ask Alexa what atrial fibrillation is? I think content served up in a lot of different formats is kind of the next thing in terms of content. Producing it maybe in one form, but again, making it flexible enough where you can then serve it up in these other types of formats. In terms of demand just for overall content, unfortunately... I don't see it slowing down. People just keep gobbling up content more and more and more. I think that we all have to kind of, and this is really hard for healthcare because we tend to be, like myself, very long-winded. It's very hard to, to convince someone to create an article on, you know, like atrial fibrillation again in one paragraph. But 
that's what people want. They want you to distill it down. They want very quick, easy to consume types of content. Always inspiring to talk to you, Brian. Always great information that we're getting. When, if people want to reach out and learn more about you, how would they get a hold of you online? Well, I'm on LinkedIn for sure. Twitter, it's at BM Gresh on Twitter. And then you're always welcome to shoot me an email as well. And it's greshb at ccf.org. Well, thanks again for uh, this great interview. Really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks a lot, Chris. And here we are at the end of another successful episode, episode 11 on cope, create once, publish everywhere, or create once, publish enthusiastically, depending on which part of the episode you want to reference. Uh, Really great topic today. Special thanks to Brian Gresh from the Cleveland Clinic and the insights he was able to share and appreciate his openness around what they're doing there and some of the different things uh, that he's focusing on some of those insights. Speaking of Brian, and other former guests of ours, uh, we will all be at the Healthcare Marketing Physician Strategies Summit uh, in Austin, which is uh, May 8th through the 10th. Uh, so be sure, if you have not, uh, surf on over to their website at healthcarestrategy.com and check that out. Uh, it's not too late to sign up if you have not. If you are going to be there, uh, we would love to know that and would love to have you Uh, on the podcast. Uh, We will be recording a couple of episodes. More to come on that, but we'll be recording a couple episodes uh, and you've got the ability and we'll have the ability to uh, hang out while we do that and interact with us. And then we also have um, you know, time in our schedule, we're going to be going around and pulling people aside, recording snippets, sound bites, things like that, that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So it should be a lot of fun. Again, uh, that's coming up first part of May, May 8th through the 10th uh, in Austin, Texas, the Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit. More on that. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes, but you can navigate over to healthcarestrategy.com. If you haven't listened to episode 10, Jump back now, stop, go back, listen to episode 10, because we talk about conferences, we talk about not only what conferences to choose, but how to optimize your experience at the conference, so that might be good for you to, to jump back if you haven't heard episode 10 Yeah, yet. there you go, great, great point, great point. Um, okay, so here we are, recommendations, recommendations. Woo-hoo. So each week, Chris and I have something that we uh, like to recommend from our lives, does not have to necessarily have anything to do with healthcare or digital. What do you got this week? Well, Reed, I got a really fun one. It is a Twitter account that I follow that just cracks me up. Uh, It's Adweek. Now, not Adweek like Ad-W-E-E-K, but Ad-W-E-A-K-E, Adweek. Like like weak ads. Like weak ads. And what it is is some guy from, uh, I guess, L.A. that must have an experience, must have a lot of experience in um, doing advertising, doing digital advertising, Mm -hmm. what have you, because he puts out some salient points that are just so, so divisive and so derisive. (laughs) Um, They are just, they just cracks me up. Now, he has a Twitter account where he publishes at least once or twice a day. 
occasionally uh, he'll put out an infographic, which is a lot of fun. So imagine like the onion of digital advertising or of ad week, so to speak. Awesome. Um, and we keep keep using the onion as an example, but you know that's really what what it is. Um, one of the things I just sent to you yesterday was the infographic about a social media manager brain functions. Yeah. And it's hilarious because he has like this this uh, diagram of a brain with different areas. And one of the things that he says here is um, the occipital part of the brain, which automatically adds hashtags to every word or phrase in their vocabulary. Definitely, I would say, you know, if you ever want to get a laugh, go to Adweek, uh, Twitter's account, twitter.com slash ad, W-E-A-K-E, Adweek. Awesome. Um, okay, so mine is something a little bit different. Uh, in my spare time, I spend a lot of time uh, building things and stuff and whatnot. Anyway, so I've come across these over the years and have started using them for other purposes. There is a brand of tool called Klein, Klein Tools, K-L-E-I-N. Uh, they're very popular. Um, they're very, very nice tools, primarily used by electricians. Uh, they have, you know, the... Uh, insulated handles or screwdrivers, stuff like that. Anyway, Klein Tool has been around forever. They make um, these little canvas zipper bags um, that most people use or most electricians use for, for tools, you know, to kind of segment their tools. And so you can get one that's just kind of like a canvas color or they make a four pack uh, where you get a couple of different colors. Uh, there's a green, orange, blue, yellow. Uh, Theoretically, so you could remember, you know, I keep this in this color bag and all that kind of good stuff. But they're really, really durable and they're great uh, for travel. Um, so you could use them inside of a suitcase or you could use them in like your carry-on bag to carry cables, connectors for your laptop, headphones, mm. you know, things like that. Anyway, they're really, really great and they're, they're obviously made for more of a um, professional use uh, for guys that are out in the field and working. Mm. So they hold up really, really well. Uh, anyway, Klein Tools canvas zipper bags. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. But great recommendation, Reed. I um, again thinking about bags. I've been moving, so I've been thinking a lot about these little bags, and you know, I've been putting everything in zipper Ziploc bags. And I'm like, yeah, this might need a real bag. So once again, you make a recommendation that I myself might go out there and purchase. So there you go. Nice, nice work there, my friend. There nice go. work. Well, Reed, here we are at the end of episode 11. Once again, every week, our listenership tends to go up. We're getting more and more people interested in this. If you could do us a favor, just wherever you're listening to it, right right now, pause the podcast and go to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. When you're there, not only subscribe to it, give us, give us a rating. And as Reed mentioned a couple episodes ago, you want to make sure you give us a five-star rating or otherwise... Um, he might get fired. We don't want to. We don't want to fire Reed. That's right. Um, but uh, give us a rating and then uh, write a review if you could. What that does is, as you know, um, it helps other people on iTunes find us. We're getting more and more people following us, more and more people listening, and I we want to keep that momentum going because we think you know we're we're creating this because we're doing it for uh, for you all for the community, and we really appreciate you guys giving us that enthusiasm, giving us the love, and maybe doing this small little favor for us. There you go. He is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. Uh, We very much appreciate you. Uh, Until next time, this is Touchpoint. Check us out at touchpointpodcast.com, and we'll see you next week.